Do we dance before we see the manifestation or after we see the manifestation? Both. Both. Amen. Good answer. (laughs) Bonus points. Hallelujah. Uh, You can go ahead and open your Bibles. We're going to go to Matthew 19. That's where we're going to start this evening. So let's start here. Matthew 19, uh, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coast to Judea beyond Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and healed, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement, and to put her away? Verse 8, He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And that's the key here that I want to just I want to stay here. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when I last ministered. I don't want to go too deep onto this again, don't need to, but the, the simple fact of the matter is right here we have Jesus saying, There are things that you live according to today in the present. You know, he was speaking to the Pharisees in their present. You know, there are things that you do now, but they were not so from the beginning. And there are so many things that we have in our present, now in 2022, that were not so from the beginning. Some of these things, you know, they're evident, they're obvious. Excuse me. You know, we we know what they are. They're they're, they're right there on the surface. From the beginning, it was not Adam and Steve, right? From the beginning, it was not so. It's, It's right there on the surface. It's very, very obvious. But, you know... When I've been spending time and meditating on the Lord and meditating on this passage, you know, it's, it's easy for us to say there are so many things that from the beginning they were not so. But if there were things that were not so, then it means that the opposite is equally, equally true, which is there were things that were so. From the beginning, there were things that were so. And so, if you know, if we were to... Go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and begin to study those two chapters. We see what God intended from the beginning. The things that were to be so from the beginning and for all of eternity. We know that it was not God's plan or His intention or His purpose that Adam and Eve should fall. And that sin should corrupt all of creation. That was not so from the beginning. That was not His plan. From the beginning, His plan was what He initiated, was going to be and carry on forever. That's the way it was from the beginning. That's the way it was so. And some of, some of the things that we see in Genesis 1 and 2, in terms of the interaction that Adam and Eve had with the Father, that is God's plan, that was God's intention, that was God's purpose from the beginning. It was to be so from then for all of eternity. The intimacy that Adam and Eve shared with the Father, that is what the Father has always desired with us. In fact, what we see 
uh, in Genesis 1 and 2 is what God intended and what He planned in terms of even saying of all that He had created and all that He had set in order and all that He had purposed, He says of it that it was good. And we understand that when God says something is good, that it's His kind of good, not our kind of good. You know, uh, sometimes if I have to fix something, it will work, but it may not look the nicest. That's good. That's Alain's good. And then maybe sometimes, like one time in my garage, a light fixture fell on my car and left a big gouge in the roof of my car. And Jason kindly fixed it for me. And his level of good is next level because you can't even see where it hit. It's invisible. It's gone. It's good. Thanks, Jason. (laughs) The point I'm making, though, is God's good is perfection. And what was in the garden was perfection. And part of perfection was an intimate relationship with his children. Amen? And we see in Genesis 3 the reason why that isn't the case anymore. We see the fall of man. We see what corrupted creation and and corrupted God's plan and what God declared to be so. From the beginning, this is so. It has been corrupted. Okay? And what's amazing is right there in Genesis 3, I think it's verse 15, right there God declares a plan to bring things back to the from the beginning these things should be. Amen? Already there's a plan in place, initiated through Eve, eventually Jesus coming, the seed. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So, here you have these Pharisees. They come to Jesus, and they want to try to test Him and trick Him. And, you know, one of the things that's going on is that they're holding on to the Law and the Prophets, but a corrupted version of the Law and the Prophets, and it has become their way of doing things. And Jesus says to them, from the beginning, this was not so. From the beginning, it was never going to be that a man would divorce their wife. How could they? They're now one. It's not possible. And he even says, what God puts together, who can put that asunder? It's, and I mean, the way Jesus is, the way it's recorded here is, um, let not man put asunder. But what, how can man really truly put it asunder, right? It's not possible. So, what we see in terms of how the Pharisees are treating the law and the prophets, it isn't a, 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 a blueprint of how things were to be. And what we see that they had begun to do is that they began to keep the law in such a way as though they thought that this is pleasing to the Father. This is pleasing to God. We're going to keep the law, we're going to do these things, and we're going to add on all these fence laws, and we're going to, you know, basically, anyone who even comes close to transgressing any of these fence laws, we're going to kill them, we're going to cast them out of the synagogue, we're going to do all these things, and we're going to please God in doing this. They believed that they honored God through their zealous religious interpretation of God's Word. And Jesus is saying, from the beginning, it was not so. God was not in the beginning, in Genesis 1 and 2. He did not derive pleasure from His interaction with Adam and Eve on the basis of their keeping the Ten Commandments and the 613 laws that went with it. There was, that wasn't so from the beginning. You know, um, in Psalm 51, I wrote it down here, Psalm 51.16 says that God did not desire sacrifice does, and He did not de- delight in burnt offerings. 
He does not desire sacrifice. He does not delight in burnt offerings. Do you understand that God does not delight in us just obeying His laws? Do you understand that the fact that we would be obedient to His laws is really us just being us? It's who we're created to be. Would He delight in us being obedient? Of course. I'm not saying that you know He doesn't care one way or the other. He, he certainly does agree or enjoy our obedience to being who, what He's declared that we should be and do and so on. You know, when a, when a man is faithful to his wife, certainly God delights in that far more than when he uh, commits adultery. But the fact is, a man who is faithful to his wife, a, a Christian, a godly man, he's really just being who he's supposed to be. It's not like, oh Lord, look at me. I didn't steal that cookie today. Can I have a medal? I want to be congratulated for not doing wrong. I want you to celebrate me because I didn't do wrong. And God would say, but... you." Who I've made you to be is to not steal, is to not kill, is to not destroy, and so on, right? From the beginning, the Lord delighted in His children. He delighted in relationship with His children. That is what it was from the beginning. Amen? From the beginning, it was not about us just you know, fulfilling law and bringing pleasure to Him through law. God does not delight in that. Amen? So what is evident from the beginning is the, the father's desire to have family. He wanted family from the beginning. Throughout the Old Testament, over and over again, God has revealed himself to uh, the children of Israel as a father. In Exodus chapter 4, we have the first example where he actually declares himself as the father of Israel and Israel being his firstborn, right? Uh, in Genesis 12, he declares again through Abraham Abraham, that you know, he wants to restore relationship with humanity and declares, hey, uh, Abram, through you, all the families of the world will be blessed. So not just Israel, but all the families, right? Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, uh, Moses compared the way God treated Israel as a father cares for his son. Or in other places, it talks about how God chastised Israel as a father chastens a son. Over and over again throughout the Old Testament, throughout the law and the prophets, we see God interacting with Israel as a father would with a child. And on and on and over and over again, he expresses himself to Israel in that way. And then, of course, we come into the Gospels and we find Jesus, and Jesus does the exact same thing. He continues to convey God as Father. Amen? Uh, We want to talk about the Lord wanting intimacy? You know, how about a fallen, spiritually dead man writing the Song of Solomon's? What kind of a revelation of intimacy that, that Solomon have to write such a, such a book, such a, such a letter? Hallelujah. Or how about the fact that God, every time uh, Israel would fall into idolatry, he compared that to being the same as adultery. You know, if God... I wonder, do we hurt God? Is it possible? Like, He's the creator of everything. Can our choices wound Him? When Israel would, would, as he said it, play the harlot on every hill, his bride doing that, did that wound Him? I wonder. Hallelujah. Turn with me to John 13. 
We're actually going to go to John 14. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout really the Gospels, Jesus continuously revealed God as Father. And really what He did is He illustrated, if you will, and patterned the kind of relationship we're to have with the Father. Jesus, the Son, interacting with the Father, revealing to us what we're to be and what we are to have with our God, with our Father. Starting in John 14, we see that you know, Jesus, it's His final hours with His disciples, right? And you know, as has been said so many times before by others, you know, if you knew you had just a few hours left with somebody, what would you be talking about? What would you want to share with them? Oh, my favorite pizza topping is pepperoni. Like, as if that's, that doesn't matter. That's not what you talk about, right? Well, let me tell you this joke I heard over at the supermarket the other day. No, you share the deepest, most important things, the things that matter the most. And Jesus, you know, he's saying, hey, there's a place for you in my Father's house. And if it weren't so, I wouldn't tell you. There's a place for you in my Father's house. I can't imagine, like we, for us, this is something we've read so many times, it's not new, but when the disciples heard this for the first time, I can only imagine the impact it had on them. There's a place for you in my Father's house. If it were not so, I wouldn't say this to you. And I have to leave because I'm going to make the way, I'm going to prepare that place to receive you. I can't imagine the impact it had on them because for me, this is something I read a billion times. It's not new to me. Does that make sense? Uh, John chapter 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Why is he saying that? But Because they were troubled. They were in distress. I, I mean, Right now, just put yourself in the situation of being a 5 or 6 or 7 year old child and, and your dad says to you or your mom says to you, I'm leaving you and you're going to have to to live with someone else for now. Do you think you would be troubled? Of course. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. That word there, mansions, is uh, translated elsewhere as abode or dwelling. In my house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Hallelujah. He's talking about more than just, hey, we're going to serve God, and I've taught you for the last three years how to serve God, how to be a servant in His kingdom, how to accomplish things for His glory and so forth, how to do works for Him, how to be pleasing for Him. Jesus is talking about, I'm bringing you to dwell with Me and the Father. I'm making a way for you to dwell with Him. It's way more than just, uh, you know, there's the king in the castle and we're outside, you know, uh, just within the, the castle walls maybe, but He's in there and we're out here. He's talking about dwelling in terms of intimacy with the Father. Hallelujah. Uh, skip down to verse 20. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. 
you know, we talk a lot about the Father loving us. Do we truly, truly know what it means to be loved of the Father? Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. And, he will, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Again, that's that word, the same word as mansions. We will make our abode with him. We will dwell with him. We will tabernacle with them. If we love the Son and we do what the Son has commanded us, the Father loves us and he comes and dwells with us. He tabernacles with us. Thank you, Lord. I want to look at one more scripture before we carry on, and that's John 16. We're going to pick it up in verse 25. These things have I spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day ye shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. And this is it, verse 27, For the Father himself loveth you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came out from God. The Father himself loveth you. You know, one day I was reading, you know, doing my homework, so to speak, spending time with the Lord, spending time in the Word, and I'm reading through John. And this, this, this word right here, verse 27, for the Father Himself loveth you. And the weight of that statement, it crushed me. I couldn't go any further. The Father Himself loveth me. And I couldn't help but admit to myself and to the Father that I don't really know what that means. I have an academic understanding. I have an intellectual, you know, a doctrinal understanding that God loves me. But do I really live what it means to be loved of the Father? I don't, I don't think so. And I mean, I can't speak for anybody else. I'm not in your private secret place with the Lord to know exactly what it is in you that you would know or not know whether or not you truly live what it means to be loved of the Father. But here it is that, you know, for the Gospels we see, you know, it's Jesus on earth interacting with people, bringing healing and so on and so on. And it's Jesus, Jesus the face. But there he is now, he's, his last words to his disciples, the Father himself loveth you. It's not just me who loves you. The Father himself. There, it must be really significant Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have said it, and it certainly wouldn't be recorded in the Word. The Father Himself loveth you. Hallelujah. So I'm spending time meditating on His Word, spending time with Him, spending time meditating on what it means that He's going to dwell with me, that He's going to uh, make His abode with me, that He will uh, reveal that He loves me. I want you... uh, you can turn to Psalm 91 if you want. But this, uh, this week, Pastor Jim's letter, monthly letter for March has come out. You might have received it in your emails or you get it by snail mail. Those of you watching, if you don't get the letter and you want to get it, on the uh, website, there's the uh, contact us page. You can contact Pastor Jim, put your email address in there, and he will send you the monthly letter. But it was amazing to me as I was reading it yesterday, how it was fitting so so neatly with what I was preparing for today. Verse 1, actually turn with me, we'll read verse, at least verse 1 and possibly verse 9 of Psalm 91. Thank you, Jesus. 
Psalm 91, verse 1, He that dwelleth in the secret, secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. This, first, this verse 1, uh, dwelleth, I, I took this directly from your letter, Pastor Jim. Dwelleth, from the Hebrew word yasab, it means to sit, to dwell, to inhabit, to endure, to stay. One interesting aspect of this word is that it gives the image of an individual staying and sitting in the presence of another person, enduring whatever would try and distract that individual's attention away from the other person. Today, the individual in this verse would be the Christian and the other person would be God. But let's go back here for just a second. One interesting aspect of this word is that it gives the image, okay, this is the image of the word, an individual staying and sitting in the presence of another person, enduring whatever would try and distract that individual's attention away from the other person. Have you ever been out to eat with somebody and you want to converse with them, but then there's always some goofy thing going on over here and you keep being distracted away and then you apologize, I'm sorry, there's... I don't know what they're doing, but it's really weird and goofy and what. But you want to bring your attention back on the person you're sitting with, right? The image of an individual staying and sitting in the presence of another person, enduring whatever would try and distract the individual's attention away from the other person. Well, let's take this for a moment. God says that he's going to, Jesus said of the Father that he's going to come and make his dwelling with us. Now, I don't think God deals or struggles with distractions that he has to keep bringing his, you know, his attention back to us. But it says here, it's the image of an individual staying and sitting in the presence of another person. The Father says that he wants to dwell with us, abide with us, abode with us, tabernacle with us. He wants to come and sit with us and be in our presence. Seriously? The God of all creation, the beginning and the end. You know, he, it's not just that he created the beginning and he's responsible for the, he, he is the beginning and he is, he wants to sit with me. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Psalm 91 verse 9. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. Okay. That word habitation, taken again from Pastor Jim's letter, originating from the Hebrew word ma'im, or ma'on, it is very similar to sitra, which is the secret place in verse 1. It means a dwelling, a habitation, a refuge. But because this word is used in describing the Lord as being that habitation, it presents a definite prophetic image of what Jesus said in John chapter 15 in terms of abiding in Him and so on, right? The branch that abides in the vine. So, the Father, because I love Jesus, because I do what He has commanded me to do, He loveth me. And He wants to dwell with me. So I'm sitting there in my, my office at home and I'm meditating on this, realizing I, I don't... I can, I, I can, okay, I can teach this. I understand the doctrine of it. But Father, am I really living this to its fullness? Is this really part of who I am? And, you know, we all recognize there is 
a tremendous difference between an academic or intellectual understanding of something. You know, an automotive engineer can design a car, but he can't drive it the way the race car driver can. The race car driver, he may not know how to build that car, but something in him, and there's something different in the race car driver, that he's able to drive at 300 or 300 kilometers, I don't know what it might be in miles, 200 plus miles an hour around all these bendy curves. I saw this thing once where they said that a Formula One driver will see a sign on the side of the, the racetrack giving him an indication of what's coming up. And his brain is able to process that sign in one-tenth of a second and make a decision about what that sign told him. One-tenth of a second! Most people don't know how to react to a green light. Takes them four seconds to push the gas. Glory. Takes a certain, some, some kind of special person to be a, a successful race car driver. Amen. So the father says that he wants to dwell with me. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to abode with you, tabernacle with you. What does that really mean? And I, you know, I was trying to think of an illustration of how to illustrate that. And so the illustration is simply this. When you walk, you know, let's say there's, there's um, a box of Kleenex and I need a Kleenex. The box is at the back of the church. I need to give my body an impulse. I need to choose to move my body over there to go get the box of Kleenex. My body won't just do it on its own. Could you imagine if our legs just decided to walk whenever they wanted to? What's happening? I'm not doing this. And I walk down the stage and I go kick Sister Kathy in the shin. It's not me. It's my legs. I'm not doing this. No one would believe it. Pastor Jim would beat me up in the back of the church for kicking his wife. Our legs, they walk because I told my legs to walk. But do you realize that when we decide to walk, we don't really think about it. We just do it. Could you imagine if we had to think about it? Okay, Elaine. Uh, we're going to go get that Kleenex. All right, body pivot. Too far. Too far. All right, here we go. Right leg, forward. Left leg, forward. You know, we don't, that's not how we walk. We just do it. We don't even think about it. However, we had to learn to walk. You know, we, when we were born into this world, we were just like a lump of flesh. Most of us were really cute and adorable. And we, we were just, wow. But we needed to learn to walk. It wasn't automatic, but once we learn to walk, we don't even think about balancing all the muscles that control our body so that we're balanced on two feet and we can run and walk and hop. And some people do amazing things with their bodies. You know, uh, the Olympics just passed. They're skiing down the hill. They do flips and flops and all these things. How do they do these things? It's amazing. But walking is something that we do we have to choose it, but when we're doing it, we don't think about it. This makes sense, right? Breathing is... Let's compare it to breathing. So breathing, I don't have to think about it. I don't even control it. I can choose to stop it. That's the only thing I can do. I, can't, I can maybe choose to breathe faster or so on, but it's an automatic thing. And if I choose to stop breathing... And I can hold my breath maybe three or four minutes and then I'll pass out, I'll fall on the floor and what's going to happen? My body's going to start breathing again. I'm not, I have no control over it. Or how about our heartbeat? We can't even control that. I can't decide, oh, I'm going to stop it. 
Okay, there you go. I can start it up again. We can't do that. We have absolutely zero control over certain things in our body. They happen automatically. So walking is different. It happens without us thinking about it, but we have to choose it, right? Makes sense? That's the way our dwelling with the Father has to become. So we have to learn how to dwell with the Father. But once we learn how to dwell with the Father, yes, it's a choice. I'm going to go spend time with the Father. All right, uh, we're going to go out. Jamie and I, we're going to go grab a bite to eat. Jamie yells at me, I'll be 10 minutes. Okay, I got 10 minutes. I can choose to go sit down and I can choose to abide with the Father. But is it, is it difficult? Is it challenging? Is it No, because it's like walking. I chose to go from one point A to point B, but I didn't think about it as I was doing it. I just did it. I'm, as I'm spending time with the Lord, is I'm, I'm seeking Him and saying, Lord, I want spending time with You. I want abiding with You. I want this knowledge that You loveth me to be so natural, the same natural as just walking. I don't even think about it. Think about all the things that we tell our bodies to do. We choose to act, to move, but we don't think about it. I want to make a coffee. So I get up, I go downstairs from my office, I go into the kitchen, I might turn on the Keurig or turn on the kettle, depending. And my body is moving, but at no point am I having to say, okay, arm, do you understand what I'm saying? Hallelujah. I want to have that kind of rule. I know that's what we want in terms of having a relationship with our Father, that it would just be this natural it happens, but the point is, we still have to choose it. It still requires action on our part. The Father says that He loves us. The Father says that He wants to abide with us. The Father, in fact, declares, I've made my abode with you. Do you know that it's possible to live with somebody and have no relationship with them? There was this girl I knew in Bible college. Her parents, they were divorced, but they lived in the same house. What happened, I guess, was when she was born, you know, they were together for a little while and they decided, well, we don't love each other anymore. But they loved her so much and they thought, oh, a child should have both parents. And at the same time, neither one of us could, could think of, well, if you have part-time custody and I have part-time custody, then that means part of the time I'm not with her. So they came to an agreement. She lived on the top floor, he lived in the basement. Very different kind of situation, Right. They had no interaction though. Mama lived upstairs, Papa lived downstairs, they got to see her every day, spend time with her every day, but Mama and Papa had no relationship, even though they're living in the same dwelling. See, Father says, I'm coming to make my abode with you. That means it's done. It's not something that's going to come, it's already happened. He's made his abode. And what, why, who is he going to abide with? Who is he tabernacling with? Those who love the Son and do what he says, Right? That means that the Father is with me right now. He's with you right now. He's abiding with you. But we have to choose to abide with Him. Otherwise, we're like Cindy's parents, living under the same roof, but not interacting. Amen? So the Father has made that first step. We need to follow, follow through. Excuse me. We're going to close this verse here. Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord... That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. This is me choosing to dwell with Him. 
This is you choosing to dwell with Him. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Dwelling in the house of the Lord, intimacy, proximity, beholding the beauty of the Lord is worship and adoration. But you know that if you're dwelling with Him, if I need to ask Stephen a question, I've got to pick up the phone, I've got to call, he may or may not answer, or maybe his phone is not with him, at, you know what I'm saying? But when you're in proximity to, you just look over, hey, you know, if we're in, a, in proximity to the Father, it says in John 15, that when we abide with the Father, He answers our prayers. Why? Because we're right there with Him. Amen? Amen. Let's take the next 15 minutes just to pray in the Spirit and meditate on the Lord, and then we're going to close. I know we spent that extra time in worship before the Word, but I really felt that we needed to spend a little bit more time with the Lord. We need to learn how to abide with Him. Just like we had to learn how to walk, and we got good at it, most of us, we can get really good at abiding with the Father. You know, one of the things that I think a trick for procrastinators is when you look at something and say, oh, I'm going to spend an hour in the Word, you put it off because an hour seems like a long time. Or I'm going to go spend an hour in worship and uh, an hour seems like a long time. Or maybe half an hour seems like, whatever it is. Um, One of the things that I've taken to doing in the past and sometimes still do now is if I'm putting something off, like I had to do our income tax this week, I said to myself, I'm going to start, I'm going to, five minutes. I don't really want to do it tonight, but I'm going to just pick it up and I can start looking at it. I'm going to do it for five minutes. Before you know it, you're done. Because that five minutes, you trick yourself into thinking, I'm only going to put five minutes into this. Who can't give five minutes to something, right? So sometimes you say, oh, I don't really feel like reading my Bible. Invariably, every single time I didn't want to read my Bible, I start reading it and then realize how much I'm enjoying it. So, I'm just going to give it five minutes, and then you don't want to stop. Amen? Hallelujah. So please stand with me.